welcome to Season 2, Episode 80 of the Banded About podcast series. Joining me in the engine room today is an Adelaide musician whose mother first sent her for lessons when she was four after hearing how easily she picked up drumming on her cousin's drum kit. She received her first kit when she was five and whilst at school, she played with various bands. When she was in her first year of uni, she joined a band called Retriever and this band were included in a lineup that was to change the course of the path on which my guest's musical journey would take. But before I introduce today's guest, it's first time for me to play the Banded About theme song, which was written and recorded for the Banded About podcast series by the very talented Catherine Lambert and Michael Mitzi Bryant. With great pleasure that I welcome Andriana Masachi. Welcome. <laughs> thank you for making time to chat with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Awesome. Okay, let's start from the beginning. Okay. Where were you born? Born here in Adelaide to a beautiful Italian Catholic household. Lovely. What area did you grow up in? I grew up in the Norwood area and then went to primary school in... Hectorville, I went to St. Joseph's. And when I was going into high school, my mum asked me, you know, like, where do you want to go? And my brother was studying up at Ignatius College in Athelston. And Marriottville was right around the corner from us. And I was like, mm, I could go to Marriottville. Like, it's a really music heavy school. That like, could be really cool. Or I could go to my brother's school. That could be really great. And I was like, oh, I miss him. I'll go to Iggy's. It was a lovely, lovely area to grow up in. And a lot of my friends were very close by. So it was very easy to pop over and go and see them during the school week or like on the weekends. And it was awesome. Do either of your parents come from a musical background or anyone else in the family? Actually, both my mum and dad's side are quite musical. My dad plays guitar and he's played guitar for a few years and he's got his own bands that he does. He's very, very passionate. My dad is a very passionate man. And my mum loves music. She said she played a little bit of flute in high school and that's about the extent of it. But she's just avid music lover. So most of my music taste comes from my mum and most of putting things into practice comes from, well, both my parents, but also mainly my dad. And the Masachi side of the family, which is my, my dad's side, they're heaps musical all my cousins played instruments are still playing instruments and bands and my mum's brothers they've all played in bands for years so they've all kind of got a musical background but they're all super passionate about listening to music which is a, a huge huge thing excellent what led to or who influenced you to start playing drums 
Oh, man. I love telling the story. On my dad's side of the family, I've got one of my cousins, five or six. I think it's five. Something like that. My cousin, Stephen, when they were going through high school, I was going through primary school. So my mum went over to my Auntie Yvonne's house that day and was just having a chat, having a cuppa. And my cousin Stephen was there and he had a drum kit and he was like, hey, I've been playing some drums at school. Do you want me to show you something? And I was like, yeah, dude, I would love that. So he sat me down and taught me the classic sort of pattern. And my mum, when she tells me the story as well, she was like, oh, I noticed you were playing it and you picked it up relatively well and you seemed pretty stoked about it. And so we booked you in for lessons. And so I got booked in with the drum teacher called Sean and I had him since just before I turned five years old right up until I went to uni. He's watched me literally grow up from a little one to to a big one. (laughs) Sean Doddy, my drum teacher, I love him so much. He's just been such a huge in my life and I think that would just be so crazy to have literally watched someone when they were four years old first play the drums to them continuing with music and then going and studying it and literally see them become this adult, in quotations. (laughs) Major, major influence and just an incredible person and very much a part of the family. Yeah, Awesome. How old were you when you received your first set of drums? I can't remember if it was my birthday or Christmas, but I would have been five because I started just before I turned five. So I reckon when I was five, I got my first kit and I can't remember the model of it, but it was black. (laughs) And I was like, this is so cool. I had that kit for ages And then about four or five years later, we upgraded to a different kit that some of my childhood savings money went to. I don't know. At that age, you have no idea. (laughs) So mum and dad, if you really want to take this seriously, we'll have to level you up and you got to pay for this sort of thing. And I was like nine at the time. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) let's do it. (laughs) Beautiful drum kit. That was a Pearl Forum, that second one. The first one I don't remember, but the second one was a white Pearl Forum, which I still have and still use. Great. Yeah. Okay, so you had private lessons. Did you also study music at school? Yeah. In primary school, I played in the one band that ran at my school. And to be honest, in primary school, I felt a little bit discouraged because everyone else in the band were men. And coming from like an Italian background sort of thing, it's kind of the macho, (laughs) kind of like very strong masculine sort of energy. And so when I look back at that time in primary school, I just remember feeling just quite a lot discouraged and quite anxious and stuff. I used to sing two and then I just got too much anxiety about that I remember stopping in primary school and just being not happening so yeah so in primary school I felt a little bit discouraged but when I got to high school obviously there was a wider pool of men and women and everyone else and you know it was a lot easier to explore it was a lot easier to be involved in the music program because a lot more diversity within that setting and because there wasn't heaps of drummers around you very much got pushed you have to be a part of this band and make it happen because we don't really have heaps of other people to play so that was really good because it gave me that push to you have to make sure this sounds good because if you don't it's not going to happen they're not going to have a drummer sort of thing so that was really cool and the music program was quite big at Ignatius as well which was really nice and the faculty were amazing so really stoked I got to explore my musical side in high school a lot more. Excellent. I really started taking it seriously, like in year nine and year 10. It went from my mum being, you got to practice, you got to practice. If you don't practice, we're pulling you out of lessons. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then in year nine, I was, this is actually really cool. <laughs> I really enjoyed doing this. And it went from mum telling me to go and practice to mum telling me to, hey, can you come and have dinner? Waiting for you at the dinner table. This is ridiculous sort of thing. So that was a really nice change, turning that angst into like a passion, you know? So that was really cool. Fabulous. 
What was the first band that you joined? The first band that I joined in high school or out of high school? Let's go for out of high school. Out of high school. Okay, so the first band I was a part of was actually some of my friends that I met through high school. There was a band that I was in in high school that did a couple of cover gigs that I've actually forgotten about, but I won't mention the name because that everyone in that band, including myself, have all done very different things, so I won't even mention that. So the first band that I joined was a band called Retriever, which was some of my closest mates at the time and some of them I still see, which is very nice. And my friend Matt James, he has a very special place in my heart and he really did a lot of things for me musically, which I didn't even realise, really encouraged me to go and watch these gigs with him or be a part of this lineup, or go and do this sort of stuff. Like he was very much an active person getting me involved in those sorts of settings. And so if it wasn't for Matt James, I seriously don't think I'd be where I am now. Because Retrieve would play like a couple gigs here and there. We, we played a gig with Teenage Jones at, at one point as well, which is funny because both Carly and Talia and I laugh about it now because we were like, that was such a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Just like babies, you know. Again, they're incredible. So Retriever did a bunch of shows and there was one gig in particular at the West Oak where the lineup was Wolf J, Stacey Says and Loom at the time. I don't know if they're still running under that name, but that gig in 2018 really set off a lot of different avenues for my playing because that was the first time I met Wolf J. It was the first time I met my friend Lewis, who I now play with all the time. And also Stacey Says, I've got some good friends in that band, which is really sweet. So that gig was very world-altering. I don't know if that's the right word. It did. It altered your world. Yeah, well, more just like, I don't know if that's the right word. Kind or- of just- changed the path of your journey yes that's exactly right it just um yeah changed the path it kind of just went here's all these other avenues that you don't even know are about to happen yet but it all came from that one gig I just think that's crazy well sometimes that's what it takes just that one gig or being at that one event yeah meeting somebody that can actually set you on a completely different path yeah Mm. and you know I just finished my first year at uni as well because I was studying with the Morrison Academy in Mount Gambier so I just finished my first year and the day after I drove back from Mount Gambier and that night played the gig so I was very tired (laughs) and it was a great show but I just can't believe how many things came out of it awesome so what was your first major gig my first major gig oh my first major gig at the time was when I was 19. It was my first show with Wolf J, Jack, who I used to play with quite a lot throughout 2019, 2020 sort of thing. It was at Rocket and it was Philadelphia Grand Jury Club. They were doing a tour and Jack was one of the supports and that was my first show with Jack and it went great. I was really nervous, but it was really, really cool. And then probably after that, I think playing Big Sound with Jack was also really cool. That was great. We did two showcases and that was really special to be a part of that environment as well and just see all those bands play and just playing those showcases and just starting to really connect with my instrument on a different level while I was studying at uni. So that was really special, those shows. Recently, I filled in for Kiri at WOMAD because she had COVID. She gave me a call about a week before and said the rehearsals are going to start in three days. I'll send you the music and uh, good luck. (laughs) Um, I had about eight shows at WOMAD. Kiri did one as well and then we split the last drum solo together, which was so cool. Love her. But yeah, that was probably another one where I was like, wow, this is like really full on. Yeah. 
And also there was a Taylor Swift covers night that I did last year in 2021 where we sold out Fat Controller and just played Taylor Swift covers. It was me and all my friends. My cousin who I play in a band with, Ebony Amelie, she was the support. So I did a double set and it was just incredible and the night was amazing. So those are probably my favourite ones that come to mind. Excellent. Did you have time for a part-time job as well? Yeah, no, I did. When I was in my first and second year, I cleaned cars. I detailed cars at a car dealership in Mount Gambia. And then I also tutored. So in my second year, it was a bit crazy because my uni kind of functions more like a school rather than a university where you show up at 9.30, 10 o'clock and your day finishes at about 2.30, 3 o'clock and then you've got rehearsals after that so it's a very big day and that runs from Tuesday to Thursday those days and then Mondays there's heaps of classes Fridays just rehearsal day so I would have a full week of uni and then I'd work full day Friday tutoring I had 13 students at a school and then I'd spend the whole of my Saturday car detailing and then Sunday was my only day off so it was basically like study work work day off study (laughs) work day off and then wherever I could I'd pick up spare shifts at the car dealership like let's say there was a day off with uni or there was half a day or something I would go and detail cars so very very busy and towards the end of my second year I was traveling to Melbourne pretty much every second week or every week at sometimes top of all of that I was very very busy (laughs) no that's great yeah crazy (laughs) I can't believe I think back at that time and I'm just like what is wrong with that person didn't stop and it was good you know trying to keep up a practice routine and feed yourself (laughs) and maintaining relationships back home as well yeah really really interesting time in my life thus far (laughs) sounds like it was pretty crazy yeah hectic do you have a memorable gig story that you'd like to share a memorable gig story I actually have one that happened relatively recently sometimes It's like you have no shows for like two or three weeks or something like that and then you just get hit with just a crazy weekend of stuff and that kind of happened around fringe season this year. So I had a seven show weekend which has never happened to me before. I've had like three or four shows but I've never gone to seven and so I had one Friday night, three on Saturday and three on Sunday as well. So I had a cabaret on the Friday night and then I'm with the Amazing Drumming Monkeys at the moment as well Mm. and so I had two shows with them at the Fringe on Saturday and Sunday And then I also played with Saran Sidhu, who was a part of the Empire of the Sun. And I did a gig with him at Andre's private restaurant in the hills, Villetta Porcini, I think it's called, in Milo. And so there was like a private stage and private function and stuff like that. And so I went and played with him on both Saturday night and Sunday night. And so I got there and I didn't really know what to expect for the gig. And I got there and I rocked up and they were like, we'll just get the car to come and get you from the top of the hill and bring you down to the forest. And I was like, what? There's a little car that's coming get us? This is crazy. So this little like black Tonka truck looking thing comes and picks us up and drives us down the hill into the forest, this beautiful pine forest sort of thing. And then we get to this beautiful stage setting. It's over like like a body of water sort of thing. There's a stage and then body of water and then seating. And so everyone comes and watches you play in this beautiful setting and you can hear the birds as you're playing. Like, it's just beautiful. And then just before we start playing, one of my mates in the band says, oh, Poe's here, she's going to make a dessert. And so I was like, you mean like Poe, the chef Poe? And she, they were like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. My mum loves Poe. <laughs> And so I was like, that's great. So as we're playing, like I'm looking over and I'm looking at Poe and I was like, she hates this. I was like, I don't know why, but I was like, I just had this feeling that she hated it. I didn't know much about her and stuff like that. After the gig, we got down and she came up to us and she was like, that was amazing. And she's really good friends with Saran as well, which I also didn't know at the time. She was like, that was incredible. Like loved it so much. And she came and sat down. We all had dinner 
together. So Andre's made us this beautiful meal and then posting it across from me. And then we end up chatting. She asked for my phone number. And then Poe and I just kind of like hit it off. I brought my mum to the markets to meet Poe. I think what's really cool is that I hung out with Poe and now bro Poe. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of say that, you know, Poe and I get to see her every now and again and she asks for my number and I think that's crazy because we grew up and mum would make her recipes all the time, which is why I know how Poe exists sort of thing. But she's so lovely and so down to earth and just really, really humble and lovely. That's probably the crazy gig story that's happened recently that I was like, did I just hang out with Poe? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but she's really sweet. Cool. Comes to mind, the legal one. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Got like dial a if you need dessert. dial a Oh, maybe. Now that's so funny. She sends me music sometimes and she's just like, what do you think? And I made her a playlist. She's like, this is great. Like, she's just an avid music lover. We just talk music half the time. And my mum met her as well. Really, really sweet. Bro Poe. Love her. She's great. What has it been like for you being a female drummer? Oh, uh, this question's always. An interesting one to answer, and I think it's important to to talk about as well. Mm. It's an important question to answer, and I think what I've been considering a lot recently is not necessarily gender, but more so the way our appearance or the way that we approach things. Like I, again, grew up with lots of male cousins and stuff, and I'm not stereotypically feminine appearing and sort of stuff like that. So I think in a lot of spaces I'm a part of, it's very easy for me to kind of slip into that bro mode you know like dudes hanging out sort of vibe so for me personally I've experienced a lot of different things as a female musician but normally when I'm in those spaces and talking to those people I'm not necessarily seen as very feminine which I think is really interesting and I was talking to a friend of mine recently about this as well and I said like if you're more feminine appearing it's even harder I've experienced any woman or say the same thing you just experience all sort of discrimination no matter what you do for me like I haven't really felt very uncomfortable in those spaces because normally anyway because I'm very easy to fitting into those spaces with my male cousins and you know relatives and friends and stuff but sometimes it's real bad (laughs) sometimes it's really hard to be yourself in those spaces Uh, something else I was chatting to to a friend of mine about was depending on the way you appear is kind of how you get treated which is really interesting like the more feminine appearing you are sometimes you get even more discrimination and you know, like I said, the more bro you are. It's really interesting to me that depending on how you appear is how you get treated, which I don't necessarily think is... Actually, I very much think it's a very bad thing. So I often think about whether if I didn't appear or chat like in the way that I do, what things would have changed and what spaces I would have been a part of, especially in the earlier sort of start of my uni going into session playing and stuff. So how have I found it as a female player? Like I said, you know, you just get discriminated in all sorts of spaces and in places you just didn't expect. It's not even based on your playing ability or anything you say before words come out of your mouth. Already something's happened. Recently, just in terms of setting up, the sound techs introduced himself to everyone around me and then he's looked at me and walked away. Like when we're standing in a circle of three or four people, old people who were playing in bands and I was setting up my drum kit at the time. You know, like things like that, little things like that. And then also, you know, getting told I could play that harder, sweetheart. Getting told all those sorts of things from sound techs and across the board, it's not very pleasant, but I'm <laughs> I'm a Taurus <laughs> and uh, I struggle sometimes to not get a bit hot-headed because it's very easy to get hot-headed, especially recently I've been able to obviously control that. Not that I would go and yell at anyone, but more so it's a very controlled anger that I'm really starting to learn 
and to kind of assert myself and be like, hey, that was really shitty and I don't think that was very appropriate and you know that that's come out of this unknowingly or knowingly sexist approach. But yeah, but that's if I can be bothered because, you know, I don't want to spend my time educating men on how to treat women. (laughs) I want to play the gig and get out of there, Yeah, you know? So very interesting. Very, very interesting being in those spaces. But I'm very fortunate with the friendship group that I have and the bands that I play in that most of the people I play with are queer or a part of the queer community in some way. And so, like, those spaces are always really trying to aim for that level of safety and inclusiveness. I'm very fortunate in that way. But there's a few spaces that I've been in recently just in the session world that I'm like, oh, okay, it's not as safe as I thought it was, you know? It really does come down to the setting, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. And that's why I really try to play with people that, are like my friends and people that I know and love and stuff like that because, you know, if you're playing gigs with them, they're not going to book through someone who's a bit dodgy. It's all about playing with people you trust. Excellent. Is there a band that you wish that you could play with? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's so many. (laughs) The first thing that comes to mind is honestly Caroline Polachek. I just think that would be so cool. But seriously, like any pop sort of stage band and even like I love No Name and her drummer Luke Titus and I think everything he does is just brilliant playing with them is really cool playing with them would be really cool playing in the Melbourne band Hiatus Coyote would be very very sick they're oh man incredible very very cool I'm trying to think there's one more band that I'm not thinking of I know as soon as we finish that I'm going to be like it was this band oh that's okay that's all right we're good <laughs> I think so yeah okay <laughs> oh, that's it I just like playing drums. I just really, (laughs) I really like it. And I'm not fussed where, but I think playing behind those pop acts, those hip hop acts are really cool. And actually I did a little bit of that stuff with Sunset Cities, which is Kazo Oslo and Nelson Dialect and New Article. And they've got a project uh, all together called Sunset Cities. And I came and played a bunch of shows with them towards the end of last year under Sunset Cities and playing with hip hop artists and rappers and sort of that like jazz hip-hop sort of group was incredible. Love all those guys. Loved that experience. Excellent. Mm. How do you prepare yourself before a show? That's a good question. I think it's changed a lot over the past few years. I would get really nervous. I've always had uh, issues with nerves and anxiety and, you know, that kind of imposter syndrome sort of thing. So Mm. when I first started playing shows, like live shows particularly, I really struggled and I, you know, my hands would shake and I wouldn't be able to play things. And then obviously after the gig, you're like, I can't believe I couldn't do that. You know, you spend all this time practicing the material and One of my lecturers, Carl Mackey, stepped me through some really important stretching exercises, breathing and stretching exercises, Mm -hmm. and that really helped. And then genuinely I think it's just the amount of shows I've done up until this point, I don't really get nervous anymore because I'm really familiar and comfortable with the drum kit and just knowing that everything's going to be a little bit different every time you sit down. You know, the stage is going to sound different and just kind of knowing what environments I'm kind of walking into and bands I'm playing with and what to expect, I'm a lot more at ease. So in terms of preparation, going over the material before rehearsals and shows is always very important. It helps a lot and breathing when those shows do pop up, that cause a bit of anxiety. And I have a strict no drinking before or during show policy just for myself. Not that I've had any issues where, oh, maybe one gig a long time ago but not that I've had any issues where I've been drunk on stage and stuff like that but 
I know the way that alcohol alters me as I play and it just, you know, it loosens you up, which is nice. But for me, I, I really enjoy being present while I'm playing. So knowing that that's something that I have is really nice. Obviously, I have the drink tickets after the show. <laughs> but just for me, just to keep myself in check and know that I'm on top of my game before any gig, not having any drinks and stuff. And I don't know why, but it's just really soothing and calming for me to have that little rule. I mean, nobody wants to really be in a band with a drunk drummer <laughs> no no way and that's sure, a bit like, too scary <laughs> no there was one gig in the retrieve days which we shall not mention a long time ago that kind of happened but again it was in someone's base very fun but obviously not doing it again on that actually I think it's because since uni I was lucky enough to study under the amazing drummer David Jones and he's just incredible and he really brought together you being connected with your instrument through this sort of like spiritual bond with it like we'd always breathe before and after lessons and really calming energy and space when you were having a lesson with him and I think it's because my approach to drums has changed so much from being okay I'll play this and then I'll do this and then blah 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 to being so much more connected with the instrument itself and so being sober and playing is just the most connected I've felt with my instrument. David set up that way of approaching things in that light so I think that's really really special. Excellent. How has the pandemic impacted you? Impacted everyone. I don't think there's one job that hasn't been affected by this. Well, not I, one job in the music industry anyway. Yeah, literally, yeah. We've had such an interesting time, haven't we? Mm-hmm. How has it affected me personally? So while I was at uni, in my second year, as I was saying, towards the end of my second year, I was getting a lot of work interstate, particularly in Melbourne, and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to head over there and I won't worry about finishing my third year of uni. I'll just continue playing shows and start hustling and doing all that sort of stuff. And there were some things at my uni at the time that I wasn't heaps stoked about that were happening and all sorts of stuff. So I was like, you know what, maybe it's time to move on sort of thing. And yeah, and again, like I loved my university, don't want to diss them in any way. But yeah, there were just some things that were happening that were very interesting at the time. And so I was just going to leave in my third year and again, my beautiful mother was like, don't do that. Don't be stupid. Finish your degree. <laughs> Get you so close to the end. Just finish it off and then that's it. And I was like, I guess I'll do that. And so I stayed for my third year and my third year was 2020 when the pandemic hit. So I just spent most of my time in the practice room um, and it was kind of, you know, like popped my head out June and I was mid-semester break. What's going on? I was still crazy. Okay, I'll just go back in. So I was very fortunate to have that time to just focus on playing my instrument while the world was going a bit nuts. All my classes were online, even though it was in Mount Gambia and really weird way of finishing off your third year but in saying that I was very fortunate because I was still able to play with people I think that was a huge thing about the pandemic because no one was able to play with each other but because it was my final year of uni and everyone was stuck in Mount Gambia we just all played together as much as possible and obviously you've got all this time to practice so in my third year I just did a bunch of practice and I was going to go to Melbourne after that because you know I was like oh the pandemic won't last long (laughs) (laughs) you know it's all right after it's done yeah that's a funny one (laughs) you know sort of wrapped up by the end of the year that'll be sweet that's not how it works (laughs) so after that I was going to go to Melbourne and then again as you know Melbourne was in the hardest lockdowns Mm. so I I came back to Adelaide which I think was one of the best decisions I've ever made because I came back here and really solidified the community that I just started to make as I was going between Mount Gambier and Adelaide because I also volunteered at Girls Rock both times that they've been in Adelaide which is how I know most of the people that I do now and my closest friends and etc etc so I really solidified that community and really knowing those people and just how special they 
out to me in so many ways. It was just really a kind of a blessing in disguise, come back home and, and also be with my family. You know, you don't even realise once you've been away from home for a long time that you haven't seen your family in so long. And I've still got three out of four grandparents here and my parents are still here. And so it's been really lovely being back in Adelaide and also being able to gig so much last year because obviously SA was still happening while Melbourne was unfortunately still in lockdown. That's right. Um, it was certainly the better place to be as far as getting an opportunity to still yeah, play. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And I think about how busy I was last year and I was like, it's because we're the only place that can function as a music community in Australia right now, except for maybe Perth. So very fortunate in, in and that And venues light. only had local acts to draw on. Yeah, and that's, I've spoken to a lot of people about this. Adelaide had to look inwards. I was actually talking to Poe about this. She was saying about when they get people from interstate to come and do her sets and photo shoots and stuff, and she's like, no one does it like Adelaide. And I was like, you know what, you're right. Even like musicians that I play with here, no one does it like Adelaide. We've got so many good things here that I think during the pandemic, we really looked inward and were like, oh, we have so many great things, <laughs> you know, because we're always looking interstate, looking Melbourne, Sydney sort of thing. And and they've got heaps of great things and love both those places. But I think it's really cool that we've got such a large community of creators here in Adelaide. Yeah. And yeah. it's nice that you've been able to have some positives come from the whole situation. Absolutely. I've been very, very fortunate, very supported as well across the board. Like I was saying, I'm so lucky to have the friends and family that I do and people in my life that I have because they're just incredible, huge, huge supporters. Excellent. Now, of course, you are a drum teacher, but if you could only <laughs> offer one tip to a brand new drummer, what would it be? Oh, man, there's one tip. Mm. One tip. Hmm, that's a good question. I think the one tip that's like just blaring in my brain at the moment is to just listen. First of all, to like the sound that you're playing, the actual things that you're like, what are the drums sounding like when you play them? And also listening to music, actively listening to what the drums are doing and how that's working with the rest of the band. And then also when you're playing in a live setting, listening to your other bandmates. There's been so many situations where I've gone and watched gigs or been a part of stuff where I'm like, no one is listening to each other. <laughs> and it's really hard to create things when you're not listening. So I think my focus for drums has really shifted in terms of just listening. Your ears are so important when it comes to digesting music and being able to play it. So probably listening <laughs> is the one tip I would give. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Thanks. You would have noticed that too in, in things that you would have attended and mm -hmm. gone like, they're just in their own universe. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah? Okay, I won't say too much, but sometimes it, it's hard to watch because, and I've seen it with musicians of all sorts of ranges where you've got these amazing musicians, but they're just not listening to each other. And it's like, you guys aren't really creating anything, you know? So I think that's super important. And there's nothing better than seeing a performance where every band member is locked in. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the first person that mentioned that to me, while I was in Mount Gambia, I was lucky enough to volunteer at Generations in Jazz. And one of the years I was the script, which essentially is I ate the snacks that the adjudicator also ate <laughs> while they adjudicated. And so one of the years I was sat next to Tamara Murphy, which is a fantastic bass player based in Melbourne, asked her all these questions. And I said, how do you visualise when you're playing with a band? What are you thinking about? And she said, I'm thinking about an umbrella over me and all my bandmates and we're in this bubble in this umbrella together like we're all creating something together and that's always really stuck with me that way of approaching music and making music is like you're all under an umbrella together creating in a live setting yeah tomorrow murphy she's great excellent okay here's the hard question oh no 
<laughs> They've all been so hard already. <laughs> Who are your top three local drummers? Oh, no, I can't answer that. <laughs> There's no way I can answer that. Local drummers. Okay, well, obviously, number one, my Instagram handle for, like, over a year was Kiri Anderson's stand account. So Kiri's up there. She's right. one of the three. She knows it. So Kiri Anderson. Oh, other drummers. Wow, this is such a hard question. Uh-huh. Because the other thing is that they're all my friends as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, it's a really hard, horrible question. Oh, man. Wow, other drummers. Wow, this is really hard. Talia, of course. Love her. I think what's really interesting about Talia, I was actually, she doesn't know this yet, but I was talking to Carly about this the other day, which is she sits really high on her drums. Mm. And so the way that she's playing is kind of with like the tops of her foot, but it's still got this really big sound. And so I just think it's really interesting the way that she sits behind the drum kit and the way that she plays. It's just awesome. And obviously she's just the nicest person ever. So Talia, Talia's great. Kiri's great. Oh, man, so that's two. I need another one. Oh, God. Oh, man. Do I have time to think about this? Yeah. Okay, great. All right, cool, because I'm going to – all right. It doesn't have to be female. Yeah, no, I'm I'm thinking as well. I've got so many. I'd probably say, like, Cam Tonkin. I don't know if you've heard much about Cam, but he has recently finished at Adelaide Uni, and I've known him for a little while now, and he's just, again, so lovely. Like, all these people are just incredibly lovely. And super approachable and always happy to talk about music. Cam's incredible and I've been able to watch a lot of his gigs over the past few years and that guy works hard. Watching his playing, you can always tell he's working on something and looking to the next thing. I really love watching and and interacting with him because he's very sweet, very kind. Can I do some special mentions? Top three doesn't exist for me. My friend Araya, who plays drums in Oscar the Wild, she's incredible. Kyle Samble, he's incredible. There's just so many great drummers. We have a lot of fabulous drummers here in South Australia. We do. We have so many great drummers. It's too hard to pick. It was just so easy for me to make a podcast series out of drummers. Yes. No, fair enough. But it's always interesting to hear people's choices. I can talk Kiri up until the day I die, and I will, because she's been so kind to me in so many ways. I can talk to Kiri about anything, Mm. obviously. Some gigs that she can't do, she'll send my way. And I think having that blind faith in someone, like I know she's seen me play and, you know, she knows stuff like that. Well, that just says to me that she respects you as a performer. Yeah, which is huge. Willing to hand something to you that she can't do. Yeah, exactly. When you look at the whole pool of potential people that could fill in for her. Yeah, And so, you know, and I just think sometimes I struggle to quantify like the amount of like trust and faith that she has in me because sometimes I'm like, I don't even have that in myself, you know. So Kiri's just been such a huge influence. And I remember the first Girls Rock camp that Kiri was also at. At that point, I was in my second year of uni and I was very much of the opinion. I was like, I'm not playing jazz. I can't play jazz, all this sort of stuff. I'm just here to build my technique sort of thing. And after interacting with Kirian and getting to know Kirian in those spaces and stuff and hearing her play, and I was like, I can be a jazz musician. I just have never seen a female jazz drummer and one that's just so lovely. That was a real turning point for me where I was actually, hold on a minute, I can actually do this. And so Kiri's been a huge inspiration for me and I know lots of other people as well. She's fantastic. Yes, yeah, she is. I want you to choose the three most important to you from the following five. Okay. So we have groove, mm-hmm. creativity. Mm-hmm. chops, technique, and time. Out of those five, which three are most important to you as a drummer? The first one's time. The second one's groove because without time you haven't got groove. The way that I feel about chops is that 
it's good to have the option, but very mm. rarely will you use them. Mm. And that's something that my lecturer, Grant Windsor, made clear to me as well, is he was like, it's a good thing to have chops as an option, but very rarely will you use them, depending on what gig you're doing. So chops is out of the three. My playing got a lot better when I really started caring about my technique, but without creativity, you're not individual. But if, if I had to choose, it would be time it would be groove and it would be creativity because I think technique is one of those things that you would have seen so many drummers as well who don't have great technique but they're great drummers and they're great facilitators of their instrument. Time, groove and creativity in that order. (laughs) Well, creativity is very important, especially if you're playing original music. You're creating every time you sit down behind the instrument. Yeah, you're exactly right. If you could invite any musicians to play a concert with you anywhere in the world, you're on the kit. Who would you call? Where would it be held? What genre would the band be performing? Oh, man. That is a loaded question. You can yeah. resurrect for this scenario. Oh, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I was like just thinking about alive musicians. Oh, no. What's your ultimate lineup? Oh, man. It's hard because I have two worlds that I'm thinking of. In the sort of rock play to thousands and thousands of people world, I would just want to be a member in the Jimi Hendrix band. (laughs) I would just love to just sit and just play that music with them and just experience that. The lifestyle is very interesting, but the music's really cool. Um, (laughs) And Jimi Hendrix wasn't the nicest person when he he drank, so maybe not that side of things. But just playing the gig, I think, would be cool. (laughs) It'd probably be maybe like Woodstock or some sort of like, you know, one of those very special sort of events like Madison Square or something. And obviously the genre is his music. Like, I think that would be crazy. So that's kind of the fantasy. The reality, in quotations, band members... All I can think about is like drummers that I really like. You're <laughs> the drummer. Like, I'm the drummer. <laughs> so I would get Paul Cornish on keys. He's a pianist in the States and he works with Kanye West and like everyone. And so he would just be crazy to play with. And I think on bass. I'd probably say like No Name's bass player, who's also Raven Lanay's bass player. I only know him as M Skills on Instagram. I can't exactly remember his full name. I don't know why I'm blanking right now, but he's really cool. And the way that he plays bass is like very simple and articulate and time and groove is, is incredible. So I probably get him on bass. It's a very an R&B sort of band. And then I need my guitar player. I can't think of one at the moment, so I might leave that one for a sec. Vocalist would be Napalm from Hiatus Cody. Just the way that she sings and creates is just crazy i just think she's just such an incredible artist her own vocals which would be very very cool i'm not too sure about that guitar player i don't know why i'm not thinking of uh oh i can resurrect people as well you can yeah no i'm blanking on guitar you know what for the sake of it i'll put lewis i'll put my friend lewis on guitar (laughs) well it's nice to have a friend with you to experience this wonderful amazing performance which is going to be held where Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Oh, and the genre would be like R&B, hip-hop sort of vibe. Probably be held at some festival of some kind. But even then, like those kind of gigs, it's really nice if it's like kind of like a small, intimate setting. Let's say Madison Square Gardens. That'd be sick. Yeah, that's intimate. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> that or even Jazz Lab in Melbourne. Could be cool. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Lewis, let's do it. Get on to that. Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to shoot him a message once we're finished. We're going to hook up with these people. Yeah. Guess what band we're going to make? Some of them are dead, but, you know, it's all right. <laughs> we're not in that band anyway. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you ever get bored with your own playing? Oh, my God, all the time. Sorry, I just had such a reaction to that. I was talking to my friend Lockie about this the other day, Lachlan McGargle, 
he plays sax and, and he said to him, I was like, I'm just so bored of my playing at the moment. I think trying to get out of that is really interesting because every time it's different. Every time you're trying to get out of it, it's something new. So I go back to listening. Like I was saying, like I go back and I listen to music that I like and then I try and find new music and just try and get inspired and go and watch music and really try and hone in on the fact, even though I'm not playing, I'm still very much being musical. So yeah, I get bored with my playing all the time. So that's why I think it's so important to practice new material and really hone in on that too. So you're still enjoying your playing across the board. But I really struggled with that 2021 because I was playing so many gigs that I didn't really find the time to have my own practice routine because I was always practicing for the gig coming up or like trying to put this thing together quickly so it'll work for this weekend's last minute gig sort of thing. So I found that really quite difficult. By the end of the year, I was like, man, I haven't learned anything new and, you know, this sort of stuff. And then I looked at my playing as a whole and I was like, I sound better my sound has improved which I didn't even think about you forget it's not about chops and everything like that but I was like my sound is just so much better than it was it's more fuller comes through which is really cool so even though I wasn't actively learning lots of new things still growing as a player which is great yeah that's really important yeah absolutely so how many bands and projects are you currently involved with on a regular basis so I've got four main ones that I'm regularly involved with. I've got Rose Clouseau, which is my main band with my mates. And then also I play in Case Kaya, which again, all the bands I play in are all my friends creating music that we love. Playing with my cousin Ebony Amelie, and she's doing some really cool stuff. And I'm just so looking forward to some new music that she's going to be releasing. We recorded with Carver and Bethan at Mix Masters, which is really great. So that'll be coming soon. And then Dolce, which is a band that me and Dylan Cooper started together, a very creative outlet where it's live drums and we're starting to use triggers and stuff or about to start using tri- triggers and stuff he's setting off live sampling and sort of mixes that he does as well so it's this kind of very interactive but also preset thing which I think is really cool it's a very creative outlet for me and also Dylan's just the sweetest person on the planet those are the main four I did a pretty good stint with Sunset Cities Nelson Dialect he's gone back to London now which is very sad but also I'm so happy for him he was a really inspirational figure and musician that I that I worked with so I worked with Nelson and, and Dom and New Article and stuff and continue working with them and I play with Lewis a lot as well just doing lots of things lots of jazz things happening at the moment actually cool Is there something that you've tried to play that you couldn't get right or you weren't satisfied with the way that you played it? Most of my drumming career, yeah. (laughs) No, no. I don't know what it is in me, but whenever that happens, I have to work it out. It doesn't matter how much time it takes me. I just am like, nah, all right, F this. I have to get it right. And so whenever that happens, I go full steam ahead. So off the bat, when I first start learning things, it's a process and I don't really know exactly what I'm doing yet. But Generally speaking, if there's something that I can't play straight away, I'm like onto it and just being like, okay, why can't I do that? What can I do to fix that? The gigs that I play, obviously, I wouldn't wouldn't take if I couldn't do them. But even then, I haven't said no to things because I've made sure that I can play them. (laughs) Especially with the WOMAD thing as well. I was like, man, this is going to be tricky, learning this music in such a short amount of time with the samba bass pattern going and all these other things over the top of it and play the samba bass pattern since uni like I've done lots of Latin things but not necessarily like samba fast samba sort of things I spent three days in the practice room and then played the first rehearsal kept going and yeah ended up going really well in conclusion if I find something that's difficult I just go pedal to the metal and try and tackle it head on yeah fabulous where do you see yourself in the next 10 years oh that's such a huge question it's really hard to map that out because there's a lot of factors to that and I think if you had asked me that question a year ago I don't know if I 
would have an answer for you because obviously during the pandemic and everything else. In 10 years' time, I would have liked to have moved interstate. I think that's something that I've always really wanted to do. And even overseas and travelling overseas, really checking out the underground London scene. Like, they've got some really cool music over there and just Europe as a whole in terms of the music scene. And same with the States. Like, I've been to the States a few years ago but wasn't able to properly check it out. Because you would have been under 21 then. Yeah, that's kind of like the the main things. But something that I've really enjoyed about the past few years in terms of like really having a start in my musical career and live performing gigs is that you never know what's coming next. So I love that about what I do is that like you never know what's just around the corner and where it's where it's going to take you. So I'm really not fussed what I do within my next 10 years or where I am in 10 years as long as it's music based because I think that will give me the most joy. Fabulous. I know that this is a long way off, but what do you hope to have achieved before you lay down the sticks for the last time? I will not be laying down the sticks until the day I die, I tell you that much. If I was putting me in the ground, you better put a pair of sticks in there with me. But what would I have hoped to have accomplished? I said this to Carver, a friend of mine, quite a lot. I really want to play stages. would love to play in just any form, just playing to large groups of people because... As much as that, it makes me feel very anxious. That feeling is just unmatched. You just can't find that anywhere. And just doing something that I'm really passionate about. I just want to make sure I stay grounded, honestly. And I think that's a huge thing because you won't get anywhere with an ego. So I think for me, the huge thing that I really want to keep in check before I lay down the sticks for the last time is to make sure I stay grounded and that I play with the people that I love and play music that I'm passionate about. Life's going to take you in so many different directions. I don't know what that is yet, but I think as long as I'm doing those things, then I'll be cool. I don't know where I would be had I not gone and studied at the Morrison Academy. And I say this because I had applied for it during like a a psych lesson in high school. I didn't get an email back. So I just assumed that I hadn't made it through or they didn't want me or blah, 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 whatever. But it was just the fact that all their emails were going to my junk and I didn't see it. So I had actually made it through to the audition process. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I was, I really want to move into state, even thinking like rural for a little bit or something like that. Again, just having no idea about what was coming. I'm not joking when I say the morning after I woke up to a phone call from Judy Morrison, which is James's wife. I'm like, hey, we haven't heard anything from you. Do you still want to come and audition? And so I was like, oh my God, this is somewhat of a sign from God. <laughs> and so I went and did the audition and then went through. But I had been planning to work and then travel and do all that sort of stuff. The music wasn't heaps a part of my plan in that way. So had Judy not had called me just that one morning, I think my life would be very different, which is crazy to me that one little things, they just change your timeline. Yeah. That's probably something that is pretty crazy to me. That's life. You know, you ask the universe of things and it gives it to you. Yeah, definitely. Before we end our chat today, I'm going to ask Rana 20 quick random questions or as many as we can get through in the space of two minutes to close the interview. Are you ready? Yep. <laughs> you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Your time starts now. What was the first album that you purchased? Uh, Aretha's Jazz on Vinyl. Your favourite local band? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, pass. What is your favourite venue? Uh, Lion Arts Factory. True or false? Nanaria swiftae, which is a new millipede species, was named after Taylor Swift. 
Yeah, let's go. Yeah, I love Taylor Swift. It is true. Yeah. <laughs> what is the name of the Italian dish made with arborio rice? Is it pastina? Risotto. Oh, oh a, yeah, sorry. <laughs> name a band that you wish that you'd seen perform live. Oh, uh, no name. The most sticks that you've dropped during a gig? Like three. In what year did Taylor Swift release her first album? Oh my god, I'm gonna get crucified for this. Is it twenty no, is it two thousand and nine? Two thousand six. No. Oh, two thousand six. I was thinking fearless. That's okay, go on. What was the first concert that you went to? Veronica's when I was six. Name your favourite cartoon character. Oh, Mickey Mouse. Your favourite album. Fast. Mm, What's your favourite movie? Oh, Sister Act. Vinyl or CDs? Vinyl, hands down. Name a genre that you don't like. Oh, man. I'm fast. <laughs> Name one thing that you cannot live without. Oh, pass. <laughs> what was the last concert that you went to? Oh, my God, this is so stressful. Pass. <laughs> what is your biggest fear? Oh, mouse. Mice. Least favourite food? Uh, pass. Your favourite drummer? Oh, God, man. Pass. <laughs> favourite pastime? <laughs> uh, journaling. <laughs> oh, you didn't pass that one. No. <laughs> okay. Time's up. Thank you once again for joining me for the Banded About podcast today. You've been great to chat to and I hope that everyone who listens finds this as enjoyable as I did. Thank you so much, Di. This has been great. Apologies for being a bit nervous. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the time to talk some BS, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. All of the information and links relating to today's interview can be found in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please share the link with your friends. Until next week, it's goodbye from me, Di, bantered about, proudly supporting live music. Bye. Bye.
something to everyone Paranoid, I take it too far 